I'm Shannon. I'm Mark. And this is Dirt Sailor, the podcast. You can find us on Podbean, Apple, and Spotify. We also have Facebook and Instagram pages under Dirt Sailor Podcast. Happy Throat Punch Thursday. Well, happy Throat Punch Thursday. How are you doing on this fine day? Outstanding. Yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. I don't think there was anything happening in the news. So on that note, we'll go ahead and say... uh, See you next week. Have a great week. No, just kidding. There's a lot going on in the news. More this week than last week, obviously. Yes, it just seems like we had kind of a lull a couple weeks ago, and then we've gotten into a very interesting news cycle. I do call them cycles because it seems like we repeat some of the same things over and over again. We just switch out the names. But we are here to bring you the names and the news stories and some things that just seem to be a little bit interesting. I want to know who the players are, so let's do it. So, had a big to-do at Martha's Vineyard. They did? Were the Obamas there? Yeah, they they were partying like rock stars again during COVID. (laughs) Haha, just kidding. They were not partying like rock stars this time. They weren't. No, but what they were doing, not not the Obamas, but the people at Martha's Vineyard, it turns out that when push comes to shove, they show their true colors. They being the people, the millionaires at Martha's Vineyard. And billionaires? You mean they don't like outsiders? They don't like outsiders. Especially when they're from outside of our country. So at Martha's Vineyard, they had 50 individuals that were flown in from the border and they were given information about Martha's Vineyard. They were given a map. They signed off on knowing where they were going. And upon their arrival, they were unceremoniously deported within 48 hours. They had the National Guard called up for this humanitarian crisis of Martha's Vineyard. Over 150, it appears. Um, National Guard's men and women were called up for this crisis to remove those individuals from even the state. Apparently, they were moved from Massachusetts, Massachusetts, where Martha's Vineyard is, to Rhode Island. Within 48 hours, national emergency, Guard called up so prominent removal. 50 people. Massachusetts, a sanctuary city? It's a sanctuary state. Or sanctuary state. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, well, and Martha's Vineyard apparently has said they were a sanctuary. Boston has said they were a sanctuary. But Martha's Vineyard, the inhabitants have claimed that they are not set up for people in crisis who don't have a home or don't have financial resources, which is just really funny coming from millionaires at their second home. Or third home. Or third home. And provided some of the people live there year-round. But you're telling me the, what, 20, more than 25-acre estate that the Obamas own can't house anyone? I mean, they had more than 50 people at their party, and they managed to cater food and have restrooms. I'm sure they can figure out how to shower, you know, open showers and facilities for people. And that's just one, one place. There's more than enough room on Martha's Vineyard to handle probably a few hundred 
Because when they have big elaborate parties there, I'm sure they have more than a few hundred. I believe it's considered a town of 17,000. 17,000 couldn't handle 50, but border towns are required to handle tens of thousands more than their population size. And that's why sanctuary cities within Texas, like El Paso, are using funds from COVID relief to actually move uh, border crossers to other states. And anyone who claims to be a sanctuary and then turns around and deports people should uh, get a hard look. They should get a very hard look at themselves. It's uh, kind of pathetic. What this has done is one party over the other has exposed their true colors and what they're really all about because they just wanted to inundate uh, red states with these folks. Unfortunately, um, they're being used as pawns. Absolutely. If you look at Chicago and Mayor Lori Lightfoot, she also did a, maybe not a National Guard call up, but she took the people that were arriving on buses and sent them to non-sanctuary areas. Nice. Well, the border crossings are so bad right now that this is a record number currently with no end in sight. And unfortunately, there's been a record amount of deaths this year so far, too, of 782-ish of border crossings and people dying while trying to cross. And yet we don't have a border crisis. We just had the VP state that there is no crisis, there is no issue, and the border is secure. Well, and that's why I think she's a failure in her job, unfortunately. Nothing to do with her personally. I don't know her. I just kind of know from history and what we've read on uh, what a VP's job is. If you hand her a task like handling a crisis and the crisis magnifies fourfold, then she's obviously not doing her job. Do you think that she sees it as a crisis with the individuals arriving to her doorstep? No, she sees it more of a nuisance than a crisis. Yeah, she'll just say, we're not set up for this, and it's the fault of the people who are sending them, even though the the border states didn't have choices. And if you look at Florida and the reason why they're sending people out from there or even helping their fellow governors in other states, but the federal government actually buses and flies these individuals to other states and they're flying them to red states, red states that typically say they are not uh, friendly towards those who are arriving unlawfully, if you will. And yet the federal government keeps sending them there. And we don't hear as much as the federal government choosing to send them to places where there is sanctuary. And why not? If you claim to be a sanctuary, why aren't you more welcoming? Absolutely. And I believe that these governors are fully within their right to do what they're doing, being a non-legal scholar or an attorney. But I do believe it partially has something to do with the Tenth Amendment. Yes, which allows states, when powers are not enumerated to the feds, it goes back to the states. So the state should be able to determine what their cities can handle and move people around accordingly. At some point in time, though, we've got to, you can use whatever analogy, saying, or phrase you like, but we've got to plug the leak in the borders. Yes, and I, I respect people who want to come to the United States, who 
are waiting in line to come to the United States. And, and on the show, we've talked before about people who say, well, why didn't they just wait in line? My insert relative, insert friend got in line and waited. For some people, there is no avenue to wait in line. So even if they wanted to wait their turn or wait in line, there isn't a line to wait in. There is no legal authority for them to get in line. But we can fix that with Congress. Congress makes and passes the laws, the president signs it, and they could make a law that creates a legal avenue for people who wish to come here. Now, don't confuse that with amnesty, which is some of what they're trying to sell. Everybody who's already unlawfully come here, let's just give them status. There are people who are waiting decades for their because they do have a legal spot. They have a, a place in line. But Congress made a law on how many people can come from certain countries under certain visas, and it's actually Congress that has caused the line to be decades long for some people. So how about we fix we fix the parts that are broken instead of just saying, it's okay, continue to do unlawful things. So let's use our line. They create the problem. And then they say they're the fix. Absolutely, and they are not by any means or any stretch of the imagination. Maybe a handful of them are, but you have a bunch of them that aren't because they are muddled in their own... I don't know what the proper term would be, self-lore, or they're, they're looking out for themselves and their own interests. They're not looking out for their constituents. They're saying, hey, I'm going to pump these people in through the border because guess what? we got a lot of votes. Future voters. Future They'll voters. remember the person who gave them status. Absolutely. It's all about the votes. It's not about what's right, what's wrong, bringing those people up. So what are we bringing them to? We're bringing them to higher taxes, unemployment, higher gas, everything in this inflationary time is blown up. So who pays for it? Well, then the federal government steps in with their money, which is not their money. It belongs to the people. And then they have to raise taxes. And so they take even more of your money. And then when a crisis gets blown into an even bigger crisis, there's more laws, more money, emergency powers, and extensions, and then they start tying things to this emergency that aren't really an emergency. So we see, you know, that if we call everything a crisis, then the president can sign an executive order under his newfound powers. And that's this trying to centralize the government and taking away states' rights. And that's what they're doing with blasting these people in this country and all over the place. They're taking away the state's rights to take care of themselves and provide their citizens with clean water, good food, transportation, that sort of thing within city limits. So keeping on individual or our borders being porous and us having a crisis, not only is a number of people coming over a crisis, but those who are coming over are creating other problems inside the United States. Here in California, we just had an individual who was unlawfully here in both California and the United States kill his significant other, or at least his former significant other. And not only did he kill her, he killed her in broad daylight. 
He killed her by beheading her in the middle of the street in the middle of the afternoon in Northern California. So now, um, Ice, who has had no involvement with this particular individual, has now been alerted. So California, who doesn't often send over information on who is unlawfully residing here when California figures out that somebody is unlawfully here, you have a sanctuary state and you have an individual who's been unlawfully here and there have been restraining orders placed against this person yet now the restraining order he walked right through it and he beheaded her again in the middle of the street i wonder if he was a ms-13 gang member because that's their modus operandi Beheading? Yes, beheading is one of their primary ways that they scare the bejesus out of people. Yeah. Let's let's talk about crime a little bit. Okay, let's talk about crime, but I just want to make a note. Go ahead. We have people who murder people all the time who were born here in the United States. I'm not saying that, like, when you, the way, like, more or less, like, how bad a murder is, a murder is a murder, but we don't need to and keep other countries problems i guess is what i'm saying like because some people believe that oh let's just he should he's lived here for so long he should just be a citizen regardless so i'm just trying to right and it's not mutually exclusive for people that come up from other countries that they're automatic murderers and that sort of thing we do have our share of all of that there are many good people too yes there's thousands of them hundreds of thousands of them but, you know, you have a, a mom in, I believe it was Georgia, was kidnapped. They, they claim it a, a kidnapping now. She made a strange phone call to her daughter or a text saying she sent her a couple thousand bucks out of her checking account and then said, honey, they're not going to release me. I'm going to die. So that's one case. They found her body the next day. There's a young kid, I believe it was from LSU. That sounds right. She was shot. And murdered. Just found her body. Uh, it appears that she stopped for a train, and then it appears a train crossing, and then she tried to either flip a U or get away, but she was shot to death. And then you have North Carolina. Two young teens went missing: a 16-year-old and 18-year-old. A couple of bodies were just discovered within the last day or two. And they believe it was them. Forensics will tell here shortly. But there's crime after crime after crime. And you're 100% right. We don't need to import more. Uh, Virginia, uh, in Virginia on a running trail, there's an alleged sexual predator who is an illegal immigrant who has been deported three times and is also considered wanted in a New York jogger attack. And it turns out that this individual was had a house or, or was staying at both locations. And so that's part of what ties this individual there. But again, un, has been deported three times. And yet, here's the zinger of this whole thing. Because of the change in laws in New York, an axe-wielding guy at a McDonald's was arrested, arraigned under multiple crimes, and he was let go and no bail. They're saying the crime didn't meet the new laws, didn't meet the new policies. No money bail. There were, Okay, so I was listening. Sorry to jump. Now, this particular individual that I'm about to mention, I don't know the immigrant status. 
but a witnessed altercation between two possibly homeless individuals. They were seen yelling at each other, picking up trash cans, trying to hurl them at each other, but they were so heavy they weren't making their mark, but it was throwing trash everywhere, busy intersection, lots of people passing by. Police were across the street, and they did absolutely nothing. Because of the way the laws in New York are going, there's nothing to arrest these individuals on. They're just so, going to so get a ticket or do nothing. Yes. So there's a podcast here. I believe it's in the eastern side of the country, maybe New York, somewhere in that generalized area. It is called Serial. I just heard about this, but I did not have a chance to dive into it. It sounds like an interesting podcast that I'm going to start personally looking into, but please do tell. Well, apparently there is a gentleman by the name of Adan Syed who was convicted of first-degree murder in connection with his girlfriend back in high school. And he has absolutely said 100% he is not guilty. So they finally, through this podcast, was able to find a couple other potential perps that they're investigating, and now prosecutors have moved to overturn his conviction and let him out of prison. So I did the little bit that I got from the story, and it's not a story, it's somebody's life, really. I believe he was 17 years old when it was claimed that he murdered his girlfriend. Yes, his ex-girlfriend. And this is out of Maryland. Yes, Maryland. You're correct. So, it trying to do math, and apparently my brain is not working. 23 years after the murder, he's finally semi-vindicated, but it took a podcast and reinvestigation. And And that's the sad thing, is apparently they knew of these two potential people back then. But for whatever reason, the way they did things back in that era... They never interviewed and never went after them. They strictly went after. Because they thought they had their they guy. They thought they had their guy. Yeah, it's a, a television show popularized. It's always the husband. It's always the husband. It's always the husband. That's off the closer. But I, I, a show I really enjoy. But in this case, it wouldn't have been husband. It would have been boyfriend. But having tunnel vision got somebody put away for longer than they were alive at the time. And and he can never get that time back. No. No matter what you do for him, whether he sues and they, they put $10 they million dollars put, in his pocket, yeah. it does not bring back those years. So we have a an original mass shooter. An original mass shooter? An original shooter. high school shooter. A Kentucky school shooter is to appeal after 25 years, he wants parole. So at the time, he was 14 years old. He killed three students and injured five others. He had received a lifetime sentence with an opportunity for parole after 25 years, 
because of his age, it was the maximum allowed sentence that they could give him. So do you think that there's remorse there and he should be released on parole? I would have to see what kind of remorse there is. Because arguably the whole idea behind our system, believe it or not, is the wrong that was done to society, not necessarily the wrong that was done to the individuals. So not to the people that he murdered, not to the family of the people that he murdered. They don't get justice. Putting him away was a justice for society. And part of that is in, depending on your city, your state, and how your state works, rehabilitative or punitive. And we've gone back and forth in different different states, whether something is rehabilitative and we try to recondition someone, get them to see the error of their ways, and then become a productive member of society and then ultimately release them back into society. So arguably, he's met his conditions at the basic level, which is to serve 25 years. That's what the law in the book was at the time, 25 years. And then you have the chance for parole. So we have paroled, as we talked about on this podcast in the last couple of weeks, in California, an individual who buried children alive. And by the grace of God, they did not die. But we've seen parole of a variety of individuals who have done a variety of crimes up to and including murder. We have John Hinckley Jr. who attempted to commit murder, tried to kill the president of the United States, and he got parole. So, or it led off to a halfway house, and then I think he's even gotten his conditions removed. So the age of 14... Is it possible that he's rehabilitated and releasable to society? It's possible. Well, the interesting thing to me is when I see an article like that, I try to put myself right next to the person so I can try to analyze what they were thinking. And he's apologized. And he's also said that he was very unwanted growing up, that he felt like nobody liked him and he was not loved. It's interesting that somebody at the age of 14, because they feel like they're not liked or they're not loved, would take that and turn it into a violent act against somebody who potentially has never done anything to them or did not know them. Okay, but if they have mental health issues that have never been addressed, and potentially they're addressed now that he has spent the last 25 years in jail, or potentially he's just even worse off than... He was 25 years ago, if that's even possible. But, I mean, it's really possible because you end up around a bunch of other criminals. You potentially learn how to be a criminal and not rehabilitated. And depending on where he was locked up and, and his lifestyle and such in prison, I would say absolutely. But I personally, if he had killed my children in a school shooting... My personal opinion is he better never get out. But like I said, this is not his punishment was for his crime against society. Even though we're members of society, it really isn't a crime against us. as the way the law kind of looks at it. And Roger that I would do the exact same thing if it was one of my kids or grandkids. The best place for him to spend his life is to hope I get older than him and pass. Or he never gets out and sees the light of day. Because I understand that at the time, 
he was given what the maximum allowable was by law in the state with which he was convicted. However, someone's heart does not get over something like that, no matter how hard they try. You can sometimes forgive if you're a God-fearing person and you follow the Bible. You can, you can forgive, but some people are just not to that point yet. Well, and even if you look at the crimes and punishment inside the U.S., so we have individuals all the time that are sentenced to actually going back to the the case we talked about in with the children that were kidnapped and then buried here in California. And what did we say? That was out of Chowchilla? Yes, Chowchilla, California. So those three kidnappers, I believe all three were originally given life without the possibility of parole. And then Newsom's dad, as a judge, reduced their sentences with some funky math and and gave at least two out of the three the ability to get parole. And then they kept stepping down the punishment, and then ultimately all three of them were eligible for parole. Uh, Newsom commuting the... Or, I do apologize. He either commuted with or agreed with the parole board to allow the third individual to get paroled. So even if this kid had a life sentence, no parole, it doesn't always stick in our in our system. We're forever changing and we have a moving set of deck chairs on our Titanic here. I get that. Let's talk about big tech. Oh, you want to talk about big tech? Let's talk about federal court rules. Big tech has no freewheeling First Amendment right to censorship. So I, I am so conflicted on this. And part of it, if you look in, you know, the public square, you see Congress men and women going after big tech for not censoring enough, and then. But then on a side thing, you see them ultimately colluding with Congress, those congressmen and women with big tech, to censor people. And then if they don't censor enough, they get hauled in front of Congress to talk about why they didn't censor more. But the only people that don't get hauled in front of themselves are the congressmen and women in front of each other. Because they are the ones that said to censor or not to censor. All they need to do is follow the Constitution. Right. And I personally believe that there should be no, that it is not big tech's place to censor people. If they don't like what they're saying, guess what? You get to be the dumbest person speaking and then everybody else looks at you and says, oh my goodness, you are so dumb. And then we move on. Yes. But instead, some people are so dumb, they have to be stopped from talking. Well, let's break it down to my simple terms. So you live in a neighborhood. You meet your neighbors. You decide to go out to dinner as two couples. You go out to dinner. You have conversation. You and your husband get in the car and you go home. And you go, wow, I really don't think that I agree with 1% of what we talked about tonight. I don't think we'll be going out to dinner with them anymore. I mean, that's the way you would do it. Absolutely. Same thing like you've just said. You look at posts, you look, and I hate that term. I don't know who came up with it, but that's the most ridiculous thing. You look at somebody's writings on a website, on a social media forum, 
And if you don't like it, you don't focus on them. You, you give them their two seconds, you read it, and you move on. Plain and simple. And this was a law, I believe it was HB 20, House Bill in Texas. And it was signed into law by the governor and a nonprofit that was um, suing free gratis, trying to get the thing stricken for Facebook and for Google and for Twitter, ended up losing in the appeals court. And it was interesting that the reply from the attorney representing them was, well, hopefully when it goes to the Supreme Court, they'll find in our favor and the First Amendment will be upheld. So it's First Amendment to be able to restrict speech. And and that's what confused me. And the reason I'm sure he thinks that he or she thinks or believes it will go to the Supreme Court is because there was a law passed in Florida and the appeals court there knocked it down. So the law was removed. So you have conflicting circuits. Yeah. So then they'll resolve the issue of conflicting decisions is, or yeah, basically yeah. conflicting decisions. But no matter which direction it goes, you're going to have 50% of the country that's going to be happy with it. 50% of the country that's going to be dissatisfied. Yeah. And so to look at somebody again, to like dive into somebody's argument is we have to stop certain people from being able to say certain things. So there's a TikToker who's a lawyer And apparently he likes to talk about legal things that are coming out, maybe just like that, like that would be a legal decision and he might do a little talk on it. Well, apparently he was contacted by a nonprofit foundation for freedom of speech and those who wanted to make sure that only uh, no misinformation was getting out there is what they claim their nonprofit is they want to stop misinformation but they contacted him to talk about the legal things surrounding January 6th and they wanted him to say certain negative things about Trump and only use certain terms as they've now shifted the language so instead of insurrection they're using other terms um And I can't remember off the top of my head what term they were using instead, but they said, don't use the word insurrectionist. Instead, use, and then gave him a term. Don't use Trump and his supporters. Instead, say MAGA Republicans or or Trump Republicans. Like they are, they're cueing the language, cueing the speech. And the guy came out and said that he, it was going to be a paid ad, basically, that they wanted to pay him to say these things. He said he was not a Trump supporter. He, you know, doesn't care for Trump. But he thought it was very interesting that this would have gone out to a bunch of people and have been misinformation in and of itself, even though this nonprofit claims to be going after misinformation. It's okay when it's their way. That's that my way or the highway thing. So freedom of speech-wise... People can say what they want to say, whether truthful or untruthful. This guy chose not to take this paid advertisement. But it's just kind of interesting to me that certain things are allowed to be said no matter what, and then other things are never allowed to be said. Whether right, wrong, or indifferent, here's our our censoring. 
And then even when we find things to be true, they were already censored for years. It's because one side is able to drive the narrative better than the other. That's true. Who's our president? What the heck is his name? Mr. Joe Biden. Yeah, Joe Biden. Biden has officially signed his 99th executive order. So he's close to 100. He has signed more executive orders in a short amount, shorter amount of time than presidents all the way back to, I believe, Gerald Ford. Isn't he supposed to be the unifier and Trump was the dictator with his executive fiats? Yes. I was going to tell you, Mr. Trump signed 200 in four years. So in less than two years, Biden has already reached the halfway point. Yes. And would you like to know how much money these executive orders are estimated to cost the taxpayers? How much money are they? $1.5 trillion. Should you be allowed to sign an executive order, right, left, center, sign an executive order with so much money attached, with any money attached? I thought these were supposed to be like, today we recognize Billy for running into, you know, a burning building and saving 47 orphans and we're naming it National Billy Day to go with his congressional medal we're going <laughs> to give. I don't know, just, you know, stuff and like that. And that's like what the, they should be. They should not be tied to money. The biggest expense within that $1.5 trillion or one of the tops is the relief, the debt relief for students and their student loans. That's right, because they're using the emergency order to say that the forgiveness is an emergency because we're in a state of emergency, you know, for emergency's sake. And if you couldn't follow that, huh? <laughs> it's because we're still in a pandemic emergency. So yes. his his um, powers are greater under an emergency situation than they would be if there was no emergency at all. So he's using his emergency powers. Well, it's almost given one person dictatorial rule. Right. When we still have a constitution, just because we had a pandemic does not eliminate the constitution. Right. And it's interesting on what's an emergency and what's not an emergency. So at our borders, our our ultra secure borders, there's no emergency. And in fact, they've started letting people come into the United States who would have gotten stopped under the emergency orders that were in place under Trump, which are emergency orders, period. Like, there's a health emergency, so we're not letting people in. So it's not so much of an emergency that we can't let people in, but it is enough an emergency that he can keep all the powers and he can do whatever he wants with them. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You know what else is wrong? What else is wrong? Wegman grocery stores. Do you know where they're at? I'm going to guess Midwest, but I'm probably... Midwest, East Coast. Okay. So they used to have this awesome app where you could walk through their grocery store. You could scan your groceries, put them in your bag, and then pay without having to go through a register and walk out. Oh, okay. So you already scanned them on your phone and then... Yes. Okay. There's other big box stores that are doing that. Well, they have decided that they love the app, but they're no longer going to do it because they're losing millions of dollars to theft. I hate thieves. As do I. Apparently 99.999% of the customers, honest and thieves, love the app. I'm sure the thieves love the app. I would like it. I One thing I, I do like is all of the self-checkout. So 
I have found that sometimes I just don't want to interact with people. So I can go grocery shopping in the store. I can go to the self-checkout. I can scan everything, pay for everything, and walk out the door. On the days that I'm feeling a little less extroverted, I can go and do this myself. So that would be a, a similar thing where I scan it on my app, and then I can I can pay for it that way, and I can still be my, my have my introverted days. Well, somebody that designs that kind of software or designs software in general should put a trigger in that when they scan it, there's still a line in there that if it doesn't get paid for through the credit card or through however means of them paying for it, as soon as they walk out the door, it triggers an alarm. Right. There should be some, and not just the people walking out, but depending on where that store is, the, the particular store is located, just unfortunately, like in California, you can load up your cart and walk out the door. You can grab a bag, load it up, and walk out the door, and California is not going to do anything other than issue a ticket if a police officer happens to be nearby and if they happen to be allowed to do that in the that particular jurisdiction. Right, and I was going to correct myself because you're exactly right, because even if they walk out with a full basket, they're going to let them go. So do you like trivia? I like trivia. So who designed the modern sneaker? Adidas. Negative. Nike? Well, kind of. Who designed the modern sneaker? So, the co-founder was an Oregon track coach, Bill Bowerman. He was a World War II vet. Way to go. He was a celebrated mentor. He used a waffle iron to mold shoes for his track team. He started a company with a co-founder in 1964 called Blue Ribbon Sports. Everybody now knows the company as Nike. Nice. I thought that was a pretty cool bit of trivia. Thanks to a waffle iron. Thanks to a waffle iron. I wonder if they still cooked with it too. So some of what we've heard lately with homeless crisis whether it's in California or in a different state. Ooh, I got something for you. Go ahead. Is that in part, it's a housing crisis and we should house people first and then worry about the rest of the stuff after. So we've heard a lot over at least the last year about how we need to house housing first, house people first, slogan all over the place, house them first. So something that I found interesting sad but interesting is that during the pandemic different localities had different takes on what to do up in San Francisco we heard about hotels being opened for homeless individuals with mixed reviews in some cases they were still doing drugs they were bringing the drugs into the hotels and it caused Many a, a wide variety of issues, whether it was assaults on um, the staff, threatening the staff, destroying the room. And in some cases, the person was perfectly fine, didn't destroy the room, didn't have those types of issues. It was just a wide kind of range of what happened. Well, in Colorado, there were hotels that were turned into homes for homeless individuals. 
And they started it pretty early on in the pandemic. And in fact, it started April 2020. So that was very, very early, right at the beginning of the pandemic. FEMA released funds directly to Denver. And then they turned around with the coalition that was working. And for the past two and a half years, they've leased the spaces to the tune of original $9 million spent. You have options to do, you know, $5 million to $6 million, depending on how many rooms, how many people. But it's become cost prohibitive to keep housing the individuals to the tune of these millions, you know, millions of dollars that's going on. But it did not turn everybody into, like, use it as a stepping stone to to recover Get your own housing. Uh, two and a half years into it. So as of September, 57 of the 138 people that were helped had some type of temporary or long-term housing lined up. But everybody else does not. So less than half were able to turn it, catapult it into some sort of a situation to go to, to bounce off from there. But I just thought it was, it wasn't the ultimate fix all people are still without that you know they they still have the crisis they're not out of the crisis it band-aided it they didn't everybody's not changed and well if you don't know why they're out on the street to begin with you're not going to know where to start to help them you can put anybody in a house but that doesn't solve the problem san francisco thought they were going to solve the problem here recently and interesting you talk about money So I didn't see the exact number of uh, cash flow that they spent, but they bought tents for a bunch of homeless in the Bay Area. And when they did the math, it was $61,000 per tent. $61,000 per tent? How does that even... $61,000 per tent. How do you even get a number that high? Oh, okay, let me guess. So it's going to the administrative costs and the this fee and the that fee... It had to because I was blown away. Unfortunately, I caught the tail end of the news cycle. So I just heard the tent number, which it was tents from like a big five sporting goods. The tents you can buy for around $400. So it was those tents and the quantity of tents divided by the number of monies they had. It worked out to 61000 per tent. Some people are getting a big paycheck and it's not the homeless individuals. 100%. Although... Some localities are looking into giving homeless individuals $1,000 a month in whatever they call that minimum assistance allowance. So are we going to give it to them in purgatory? Just they don't have to do anything but continue to live the lifestyle they're living. We're just going to give them free cash. Seems like it. Like we don't want people to change. And I know that might sound harsh to some of our listeners. And it's not meant to sound harsh. Harsh, but if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. If you have a problem, housing is just a symptom. It is not the underlying issue, and we're just not addressing the underlying issue. Well, and unfortunately, you are 100% correct. And for some of them, mentally, once they reach the point of no return, there's no bringing them back. So that's when institutions and real high-dollar psychiatric help comes into play 
You can't just let them roam the streets. And now I know all these movies because I don't go to the movies anymore, but you watch all these zombie movies and that sort of thing, the zombie apocalypse. You can see it happening right before your very eyes. It's really drugs and not just some random Uh, virus that's uh, out there killing people or escaped from a lab. It's unfortunate drugs and alcohol that have infested our society and we have people just roaming the streets and they have no idea where they're at or what they're doing. So something I have for you is a robbery suspect dying after the victim stops him. So something that we've seen across different states, but most especially New York, is that if you stand up to a criminal, you could get charged if the criminal gets injured or killed. So we have another case where a person... A robber attempted to rob, do what they're doing, illegal act against another person. And the person stood their ground, basically self-defense, and ended up, because they fought back, they may be exposed to legal consequences because New York City doesn't really like it when their victims turn the tables on the perpetrators. When they turn the perps into the victim? Yeah, well, they're seen as a victim. Right, I know. And because of that, then the person who was victimized becomes the so-called perpetrator. So we have an individual who had an imitation firearm, but of course the victim didn't know that it was an imitation. They just see a gun getting pulled on them in New York. So two individuals try to stand up to the robber holding what appears to be a gun and they fight back and after the physical confrontation they restrained the robber and attempted to gain control of the firearm because they thought it was a real firearm so in the ensuing struggle the uh, attacker became unconscious a 911 call goes in to an unconscious unresponsive individual And now it appears that the two victims may face charges because the gunman died during the struggle. What's the moral of the story? Don't commit crime. Don't commit crime. And if you are not from New York and you don't love it to the end of your life, don't move there. Stay away. Yes, because if you're attacked and you fight back, you're the one who will be arrested, just like the bodega worker who was assaulted by an individual on probation and when he tried, or on parole rather, when he tried to get away, he was repeatedly attacked and ultimately ended up killing his attacker and he was actually arrested and placed into Rikers, Rikers Island. So be careful if you're in New York. Absolutely. So, I got something for you finally. Where'd you go on vacation in Arkansas? I went to the Arkansas Diamond Mine. So, guess what? They just found their 35,000 diamond. A gentleman by the name of Scott found the 35,000 diamond. Yes. So, in the last four years, he's found 80 diamonds. I find it absolutely amazing because I couldn't find one. I know, and you even brought it home. I still have I some still have gravel dirt, to gravel sift. here at home. I still have gravel to sift. You know what? It's it's 
it takes a, a pretty good person to be able to sift and just the way they they use the like the tools to sift it's quite amazing and I just don't have that talent so I'm going through a little bit of dirt at a time well he must really have a talent because he's found 50 of those 80 this year 2022 apparently he's learned where the pay dirt is so to speak and he goes back to those places but I'm I would love to find just one I don't need 80 I don't need 50 I don't need 10 just one would be great well, when he found it, he took it back to the diamond mine so he could have it inspected and certified. Which is a requirement. Yes. If I find, if I do in fact finish going through my gravel, and I say my gravel because this is my lifelong dream. Yeah, I went with my husband and my kids, but it would be my diamond <laughs> if it was found. No, Was that be, on your bucket list? That was on my bucket list. That has been something I have talked about for more than a decade. It's a pretty cool thing to have on your bucket list. Um, But it the way it, Turns out that it works, and this is something I learned after actually going there, is that if you find a diamond in your take-home gravel, in order for it to be considered a diamond from the Crater of Diamonds, you have to take it back to their people who will then inspect it and certify it, and they will give you a certificate of authenticity. They'll weigh it. They'll tell you the size and everything. But, yeah, so if I do find one, and even if it's just a... Tiny, tiny, one one hundredth of a carat diamond. I will have to spend hundreds of dollars, if not thousands, to get back to have that $10 diamond <laughs> certified. Well, I guess diamonds are measured off of points. So they are measured off of points, and 100 points is a carat. carat. His was four points. Right, so it was basically a one twenty-fifth. Of a carrot. So guess what he got for that diamond? What did he get for that a diamond? A two-night stay in their luxury resort. Because they were doing a grand celebration for having found the 35,000th diamond. Yeah, I'd be bummed if I found 3501. Right, you go in and you find it after. But he's found some pretty big ones. At least I think at least a half a carrot. While we were there, we had some people who registered... Over one was like over a carrot, a half a carrot, and then you had the small ones in there too. I'm just like, how did somebody find a carrot? Could you imagine just going around and be like, oh look, thank you, diamond? I would never find one. No, but if you are going to Arkansas to the diamond mine, I highly, highly recommend Samantha's Timber Inn. It is a cute place. They have redone all the rooms. There's only five rooms. But they are so nicely appointed. They are very close to the park. And they are themed. So the theme that we stayed in was a nautical theme. And the girls had bunk beds that looked like boats. Our coffee table looked like a a boat. They had stuff all over the wall, just regalia. It was great. They did a really good job with theming each of the rooms. And the one we stayed in was a one-bedroom suite. So the bunk bed was actually outside in the living room. And then there was a master bed with a again a nautical theme it was really cool so samantha's timber inn if you are in arkansas murfreesboro great little place sounds like a lot of fun it was so i know one thing that's near and dear to my heart besides you and your sister and my grandkids is covid your wife covid your wife wife then covid (laughs) and not covid per se but all of the things that have happened to America and the world since this whole thing started. And I have been watching, like I do, videos, trying to learn a little bit. 
and I watch several other YouTube shows that have real live scientists on them, not fake guys and fake gals. Not some news reporter claiming to be an ultra scientist going around and claiming scientists are liars and blocking them, trying to get them blocked from correct social media. That would be correct. So has smallpox in America been eradicated? I thought it had, but I think it's back. It's back in a very, 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 very minute way. Handful of people. Hey, however, if you do a PCR type test to check for smallpox and you have a bunch of false positives, what do you think would happen? They would start checking the tests. Absolutely. So unfortunately, during this two years, 80% of asymptomatic people have, have had positive COVID PCR tests, but they did not have the disease. What? They did not have the disease. That's a really high yes. false rate. Yes. False positive rate. Of asymptomatic people and PCR testing. Two and a half years into this testing, it's still an issue with false positives. So you had one particular scientist who did the math, did a division, and said, wow, if these numbers are factually true, which apparently they're coming from the CDC and reputable organizations like that, then other than the deaths, the percentage of COVID was not, it was bad, but it was not as bad as some people have been led to believe. Okay. And I can back that up by Eastern Uganda. Their COVID situation as of the, as of the last couple of weeks, there's 44 million people in Uganda they handed out 24,885 doses. However, 75% of the population has still not had vaccinations, but they have strong cross immunity from other viruses, and most of them have recovered naturally. So it's just a little bit to, a little bit to chew on. Well, it's kind of funny that you bring up the COVID test because New York Governor Hochul is being looked at, whether or not she'll be investigated is another thing. But apparently a Democrat donor, one of her Democrat donors, got a deal on the COVID test in which they paid more than California. So California paid 45% less tests, less for the tests than New York did. And so it was a rapid COVID-19 test and they were from the Hochul donor so apparently California got a deal and this donor gave New York a worse deal than they gave California, which is interesting. It, it, to me, it sounds more like they made a quid pro quo payment back to the donor. However much they donated to the campaign, they saw it millions back on over New York overpaying for said tests. And now, potentially, those said tests are practically useless if the false positive rate is that high. Well, according to when asymptomatic people took the test, they were. And I understand that things were happening in real time, and you had scientists and others trying to figure this thing out as it was happening. Um, did a million people die in America? Absolutely. Did five and a half million-ish plus die Around the world? Absolutely. 
and now you have the Lancet group. Now they're able to look at some of the empirical data, and they're diving into this thing, and now they're saying they're not sure where this thing originated from. Well, right, because they decided to tear down any scientist who said it was not natural, and now it's, oh, we don't know, but we spent more than two years telling everybody you're a bad scientist, essentially, if you questioned where it came from. And even their own data from from um, the NIH and related agencies, they went as far as to scrub information from online sources. And then eventually when someone pulled out, you know, like, and said, hey, this data is supposed to be available, and it was a particular subset of data that would kind of tell origins, but not exactly, they said, oh, yes, it is still available but you have to request the information and then we've microfilmed it. So then you have to go figure out how you could see it in person. But don't worry, it's open to scientists. And Well, and that's the interesting thing about the Lancet report, which is peer-reviewed. It's done by some of the leading scientists and doctors from around the world. That They are uncertain if it came from zoonotic spillover or a wet market. They're not saying that they're sure whether it came from the USA or it came from Wuhan. They are not able to get independent scientists and auditors into any of the labs because China will not let them in the Wuhan lab. The NIH and Dr. Fauci will not let them or allow them to be privy to any information from any lab in the United States of America as to whether they were doing any type of testing of this nature. So how can you surmise or come up with a conclusion if you're being turned away at all corners? And I think that's what will protect Fauci in the end, as well as individuals like him, is if you stop the investigation and you get to be the only one who gets to say things and everybody else is a liar, misinformer, etc., you get to stop any real investigation. So de facto, he can never. Well, yeah, never you, really you know what these people in D.C. have learned very well: the statute of limitations and when things run out. And just run it. Just run, out the clock. run it. Run out that clock. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. Let's uh, go into politics. If you're good with that. Yeah. Okay, so. Something that we've talked about before here, not only January 6th, but swinging back to 2016, talking about the Trump-Russia collusion, which really should be Hillary-Russia collusion or FBI-Russia collusion. FBI paid for it, by the way. Oh, the FBI ultimately paid for it. Is that it? Came out committee recently. So the source of the dossier was on the FBI's payroll. Roger that. So they already knew the source. They already knew that he was an operative for Russia and that the the Steele dossier, which was written by him, they already had him on the payroll. So arguably they should have already known these key facts if he was there just spilling secrets, so to speak. Um, but yeah, he's been on the payroll of the FBI and apparently they already had concerns that he was a Russian uh, on the Russian payroll, too. He wasn't just flipping on his country, but he was, a, I guess, would you call that a double agent? Yes. He was some sort of a, a 
devil agent, but Igor Dechenko, according to a court filing, was paid by the FBI to be a confidential human source and to help conduct its crossfire hurricane investigation. So they paid on all sides. They were covering all their bases. They were. They were definitely covering all their bases because Hillary Clinton infused money into the DNC because the DNC was going broke. So really it was Hillary Clinton's DNC. Then the DNC turned around and funded the dossier, the Steele dossier. And then as a side, the FBI was also paying Dechenko to be a confidential human source. So everybody from the FBI to the DNC to Hillary Clinton in her campaign were colluding with Russia. As I'm sure they're colluding in other stuff right now as we're sitting here speaking, because that's what they do. They do legitimate raids and they do fraudulent raids. Right. And one of the things that I was I was hearing about with as far as Biden and Hunter Biden and the FBI involvement and all of that. So in their investigation, apparently they are claiming that the president and vice president aren't really subject to the same laws that everybody else is subject to. So when Biden was the vice president and he was having a little too cozy of a relationship with all of Hunter Biden's business partners, It's just something he shouldn't have done. It doesn't look really good. But in the end, it's not really that unlawful, according to the Democrats. It's never unlawful, especially when they get to write the rules. It's all good. So who is... Sorry, you just said they get to write the rules, which is really funny, because the Department of Education put out... uh, a proposal that needed comments because you have a a public comment period. And so they were writing the rule and then they put it out for public comment and then the public comment period ended and then they accidentally deleted thousands of comments for the rule they proposed. They did it accidentally? Accidentally. Oh my goodness. And they're probably all folks with masters and PhDs and they accidentally deleted it. How dare them. So who is Joy Reid? Joy Reid is a media type. Uh, Is she an opinion person? I believe she's a a news commentator, which would be an opinion person. She has an opinion show. And in fact, for our listening audience, when this show is commentary on current public news topics or various topics in the public square, most of the shows that you see on Fox, MSNBC, CBS, etc. are news commentary. So they are not there to necessarily provide the news, but provide their opinion on certain topics. So she is one of them. Oh, apparently her opinion is Trump is becoming a warlord. He's gathering his people around him like Jim Jones, Mussolini, and Hitler. It's funny that you say Hitler because Trump just had another another rally. And in it, people were raising their hand. And I don't know if it was a a prayer point or something was going on, but you see all these people with their hand raised. And then so many people on the left commented that he looked like Hitler and they were all doing the Nazi salute. 
and they even put pictures side by side. But then somebody else pointed out that this is what it looks like at many different venues. Like, raise your hand if X, Y, Z. And so a bunch of people will raise their hand. That is not a Nazi salute. That's just you raising your hand. So apparently somebody had a picture of a Taylor Swift concert. And they were all doing the same thing. And so they're like, oh, Taylor Swift is now a Nazi because concert goers were doing the same thing. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting that that Nazi comparison will never subside. He is just a Nazi and they have to go after him. They will go after him until he's in the grave and after. Because once the torch is passed from him to Donald Jr. or whomever, they're going to do the same thing to that younger family because they just don't care. They don't care about truth. They don't care about facts. I guess facts and truth are almost one and the same. Yeah. You would hope. Yeah. So I think at some point people are eventually going to catch on to this baloney and through the power of voting, we're going to vote them all out and replace them with new younger people. Speaking of new younger people, apparently the expectation right now is that Biden will not run because it appears that Governor Newsom is gearing up with all of his attacks on other Republican governors who may also potentially run. In 2024, he is acting like a de facto. Is he trying to act presidential? Yes, he's trying to act like a de facto president. But there is talk that if Biden doesn't announce or ultimately decides not to, then it's going to be 2024 Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom. If Biden does go for a next term, then it's looking like it will be Ron DeSantis and Biden. There's lots of people that say it will be a Trump-Biden, you know, re-campaign, but I certainly hope, I'm sorry, I certainly hope not. We don't need the same things we've always done. We'll get the same things we've always got. And I think Trump got a raw deal on some things. Trump also handles some things not so well, in my opinion. But that's not for me to decide how he does his thing. Well, I think I said it about three podcasts back. I'm going for DeSantis if he runs. I think he's the best option right now. And I really believe that Mr. Trump should put his full weight behind somebody like Mr. DeSantis. And I think he ought to really shake this thing up and bring our Hawaii congresswoman in there as well. And now she's a New Hampshire resident, so can we still call her a Hawaii congresswoman? Okay, our... I still like Hawaii congresswoman. Our Hawaii transplant to New Hampshire. Right. Yes. Our uh, American Samoan... Somebody that was actually in the military. Military... Actually enlisted after 9-11, and she just did a a quick news piece on her news station and talked about why she went in the military, what she had done, and I am so impressed with her. uh, I would vote for her tomorrow. She really, she checks a lot of boxes, not just as a a human being. I mean, she checks a lot of boxes as just being a good human being. I don't agree with her on everything, but there's, again, there's not one person that I'm like, everything you say is 100% exactly how I believe. But I believe she's overall a good pick, a good person. Well, you being a person that just finished a statistics class, 
statistically speaking, it's probably improbable that you would agree 100% with any other human on this planet. I, I would have to agree with that. Agree to that I disagree. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would have to agree with that, that it is statistically improbable that you will find another person in which you are exactly alike. Even my parents who raised me, so arguably we grew up in a similar environment. My sister and I grew up in a similar environment, similar raising. We have different opinions on different topics. So even in the same household, same environment, we don't always agree. So yes, to find someone that you 100%, they are exactly spot on with every single thing that you agree with is statistically unlikely. That would be called AI. You would have to find artificial intelligence. You'd have to program it to agree with you 100%. Then it would eventually start thinking on its own. And disagree with me. And disagree with you. (laughs) So in the world of politics, this shouldn't be political, but it is. Paying your taxes. Do you think paying your taxes is political? Or just something we're supposed to do as a society? Well, I've always believed that we all have to pay our way. So we have, like I always say, great things like good roads, good water, and produce. uh, You know, everything that comes along with being a, a solid community and upstanding people. However, it should never have been put in a political realm the way it is because now they use it as a weapon. It's been weaponized. Right, and we hear about the the new potential IRS agents that are going to be out there auditing us and they're going to go more after middle class or whether you believe they'll go more middle or if they'll actually go after the, the true cheats. It doesn't matter to me per se. Well, it does matter, but it doesn't matter what your income level is, is if you're cheating the system, you should be stopped because we all suffer for that. But what happens or how do you think it should go if the IRS agents themselves are behind on their taxes? Do you think that they should be able to be IRS agents going after other individuals? At the time they owe the back taxes, no. And they should, you like shelve them or like give them a, give desk, a desk job, job or something? Give them a desk job you, until just like anything else, they, they get themselves right. They pay their portion. So it's not necessarily a fireable thing. It's a get yourself right and then you can go back and do your job. As long as they're not cheating on their taxes and they're not doing things that are not legitimate, I would not terminate them. I would move them to a desk job. I would have them as road guard. I'd have them work in the parking lot whatever until they got their self right because there's rules and regulations that everybody follows just like me just like you and if you break a rule you're punished you correct it and you move on as long as it's not a terminable offense okay so i can agree with that i don't think that everything should be a reason to fire somebody so i I can definitely see where you're going with that so another political talk there in in Pennsylvania, they had their primaries, and within their primaries, um, they had a Senate campaign. One individual on the Democrat side was John Fetterman, and on the Republican side, who ultimately ended up getting the nod, was Dr. Oz. 
So you have Dr. Oz now as a Republican nominee, John Fetterman as the Democrat nominee. Now, just prior to the primaries, Democrat John Fetterman unfortunately suffered a stroke. I don't know if you remember that. I do not, but how did Dr. Oz swing that? Just kidding. (laughs) He had nothing to do with it. And so, even though John Fetterman suffered a stroke, he was still going through the Democrat primary, he still ultimately won the nomination for the the Democrats. That did not deter people from voting for him just because he had suffered a stroke. Apparently, he is not fully recovered. And so, he's still going, he's still campaigning, he's still attempting to become the 2020 to pick for Pennsylvania for Senate going up against now Dr. Oz as the Republican nominee. He's showing the signs of, I don't want to say showing the signs of stroke. He already had it, but he is trying to be coherent, but he still has an inability to speak clearly in many of these forums. So instead of going out in public he is kind of staying like under the radar a little bit, but when he does actually go out there and he does start to speak, it becomes very apparent that he struggles. And much like Biden, some of his speeches are incoherent. Uh, okay, now, is it that his speech from the stroke is incoherent or is it his cognitive reasoning has been damaged? Unclear. Two different things. Unclear. I will say unclear because... I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I haven't personally evaluated John Fetterman for whether or not it is just speech difficulties or if he is just straight up incoherent, like all around. But I guess NBC has moved to have some of his speeches stricken from the public square because they're claiming that it's doctored, even though they're clipping out like incoherent portions of his speech and saying, this is the Democrat nominee. NBC and individuals at NBC are working to say that that is basically misinformation, doctored information, and get videos of him being incoherent, exnayed from public consumption. Well, that's not right. If he's incoherent, he's incoherent. If he's incapacitated, he's incapacitated. It's up to the Democratic National Committee there or the state committee to go have him evaluated and see where he's at. But a lot of what you can't see, because this is an audio podcast, is an individual looking around, blinking, looking off to the sides, and then having kind of clipped speech and talk. I mean, this is only 30, 34 seconds of a, a cut that was released to social media, but they're claiming that it's doctored, even though there's nothing that appears. I mean, just by my well, eyes, but even, I'm not an expert. Even if it is doctored, whoever's doctoring it is doing the same thing that the other side does all the time. They cut and paste things on a regular basis. So what you're saying is doing something like that is like, Kind of dirty campaigning, but people dirty campaigning. It's absolutely normal. They do it all the time. It may not be normal in a normal thinking sense, like uh, 
like thinking individuals like us, that is not normal, but that's the way politicians do it. But it, it sounds like he's still recovering from his stroke and he has cleared through November before the election. Right. So how about get better? Yeah. He's got to work on getting better. And what they need to decide, like I said, is they got to either run the horse they brung and the one that won the nomination for the democratic side, or somebody has got to go in there now and say, sorry, bud, but you know what? You're just not recovering. We think you have X and we're going to put in Y now. Right. Get the medical help you need and, and you can run, look at it in the running, future. Running six years or whenever the next Senate position opens up. Not rocket science here. It's not rocket surgery. Not rocket surgery. Okay. So one last political thing for the United States, at least on something that I've been looking into. So Maricopa County was a big one for looking into recounting the votes, checking out the the political voting machines and stuff like that. So they they ran the report. The The Arizona Senate came out with their report detailing what they were able to look into and what they weren't able to look into, depending on what was turned over to them. And then we move forward. But now Maricopa County is being looked at because when you appoint poll workers, so the Democrats and the Republicans, and I believe independents, they all give lists of Republicans who want to be poll workers and Democrats who want to be poll workers, et cetera. And then they're supposed to pick 50-50 or even numbers. They're supposed to keep it even. And they have a legal obligation to keep it even for the poll workers, both Republican and Democrat. Apparently, in their recent primary, they have 857 Democrat poll workers and only appointed or allowed 712 Republican poll workers. So they did not keep it even. And apparently at some precincts, they didn't even have any Republicans at all. Only Democrats. Probably even in though, Republican districts. <laughs> even though they are legally obligated to be 50-50. 11 vote centers ended up with no GOP election inspectors at all. And they wonder why people get so upset saying that this stuff is rigged. Right. You block people from seeing it, but you say it's the most secure. You block people from counting, but you say, no, we did it right behind closed doors around nobody else. And going back to the suitcases that were kept under the tables, I don't see how that is considered secure. Even if that's what you've always done, even if it's totally legit to have I, I, not legit as insecure, but even if there was nothing wrong with the actual ballots, like they were real true people's ballots and they just housed them in rolling luggage under a table, how can you make a case for keeping untabulated election documents unsecure, just randomly under a table while you're moving around and, and you might you have to print something, go to the bathroom. You're not watching it 24-7. No, you can't. People think you're dumb-dumb. That's why they do things like that. Oh, dumb-dumb won't notice. He won't care. She won't care. Or even if you say something, people are just going to say, meh, whatever. Absolutely. It was still cool. Absolutely. So let's hit a little Navy Times here real quick. Ooh, Navy Times. What's going on? So San Diego, California. A ship. USS Bahome Richard. Is that the one that burnt up? Did yes. they had to scuttle? Yes. Well, apparently that young sailor is about to face court martial for catching the ship on fire. Yes. Apparently an attorney down in the Bay Area, or in the Bay Area, in the, well, Mission Bay Area. 
A bay. A bay yeah, is a bay. A bay is a bay. Um, started to defend him pro bono. And they went to some preliminary trial work. And he thought that they weren't going to send him to court-martial. A captain in the first captain's mass recommended against it. The admiral said, no, we're taking him to full captain's mass. We're going to prosecute him. No, they're they're not going to allow the captain's mass, and they're taking him to full court-martial. They're court taking martial. him to full court-martial. Okay. So, yes. okay, so an admiral overruled, overruled the, the captain. captain. Okay. So now the attorney that was doing it pro bono says he doesn't have the time to help defend the young lad. Well, going through a full trial versus going through a cap- captain's mass, you are limited to the punishments you can dole out. It's a very limited procedure. And the captain's arbiter right. versus going through a full trial. There's a lot to go through. Well, it sounds like this young lad, according to what I read in the last couple of days, Went to Bud's, didn't make it, trying to become a Navy SEAL. So he had a big chip on his shoulder, and he was a very aggressive, out-of-control youth, so to speak, young man. Well, apparently there's only one witness that saw this, and apparently this witness has changed his story a couple, three times. So that's why this attorney that was going to do it pro bono said, you know what, there's no way this thing's going to go to trial because they don't have anything. Okay, that would make sense. So we will see what happens to this young individual if he gets found guilty or innocent based on zero evidence. It will. Uh, well, if you look at what the Navy has done, if you look at what the military in general has done, it just depends on who you are, how high up you are, as to whether or not they will or won't go after you. Something we talked about last week is the Fat Leonard case. So, someone who ended up becoming an admiral, at the time that the offense was committed, I believe they were a captain, but they ultimately ended up becoming an admiral, they've decided not to pursue the charges against him, even though all of the other lower-ranking still officers they were going after. So, it just depends on who you are. And whether or not they will continue to pursue you. There's different rules. And this individual is an enlisted sailor. Lower on the totem pole. They go after lower level individuals harder than they will go after officers. And I'm not saying that he did or didn't do it. Depends on, you know, what's ultimately found. Did he or didn't he set the fire that ship was worth a lot of money, so that is a huge expense to the hundreds, military. Hundreds of millions. First time a boat has been scuttled like that since a major war. Non-war time. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there's a lot to look into. Again, not saying that he did it, but did or didn't do it, but it's just an interesting when we go after who we go after and what their rank is and if we continue to pursue them and elevate charges. Well, and that's uh, local, state, and federal. The uh, big guys generally get away with the crime. The little guys are the ones that generally get punished. Right. So one more quick thing on COVID, but non-COVID related. So a couple of uh, shows I watched last night. There is, unfortunately, in America and in Europe, a lot of excess deaths. 17% 
in Europe total and about 11 to 13% here in America that are unexplainable. And I didn't have the opportunity to do any research, but I am personally going to dive into that this week. And I'm going to try to nail down the percentages of vaccinations by country over in Europe versus the excess death percentages and see if we can try to nail down any correlation in our own mind as non-scientific. Right. Correlation is not causation, but it does give a pretty interesting peek into the data. Yes. And one of my favorite guys, Dr. Campbell, is very concerned about this uh, high percentage number and both medical organizations in both countries are not talking about what they feel is the root cause of this entire this entire thing. Because if they are the root cause through force and coercion, do you think they'll admit it? No. So let's talk about root causes. and Well, not necessarily root causes. There is a lawsuit that has been filed in Fresno. They are starting in the Central Valley, and they are going to see how it does. But apparently... In the Central Valley at Clovis Community, St. Agnes, who talked about this, Rimdesvir was administered to individuals either without their consent or without their full knowledge of the history of Rimdesvir and some of the outcomes, which is it was used in an uh, Ebola study over in Africa. There were four drugs that were being given, one of them being Rimdesvir, and remdesivir was the only one pulled from the study early because of excess patient deaths. And they did not give that information to the patients that they were giving remdesivir to here in the Central Valley. I, I don't know how far the lawsuit will go because there was a lot of uh, provider protection that was given through the CARES Act and other you know, governmental money sources, they they actually put a lot of restrictions on who you can sue and getting health care for COVID was one of the restrictions that you couldn't sue the doctor for bad outcomes. So it will be interesting to see if it's allowed, it, it was allowed to be filed, but it'll, if it can continue in the court system and what the ultimate outcome is. But even the World Health Organization said to stop using remdesivir and the Central Valley continued to use remdesivir. And the, the patient outcomes were bad. But then one of the um, workers, I believe we talked about this last week, but one of the workers who works for the pharmaceutical company that owns remdesivir, they were on a paper linking the side effects of remdesivir as COVID symptoms. So it will be interesting to see where it goes. But that was filed and it's going through. We'll see what happens. That's interesting because that's another statistical thing to dive into. See that? Just keep throwing out the stats. Lots of statistics. So I read a paper today earlier about a study they did back in June of 2020 when COVID was really starting to ramp up and people were really starting to get really sick and die because that was the very first wave. It was the Wuhan wave or whatever the first wave was called. 
Well, they started looking at the mRNA vaccine when they started doing the Operation Warp Speed. And they did a, a not a cost-benefit analysis, but they did a health-benefit analysis of myocarditis. And through their studies, both organizations, Moderna and the other, they found that the percentages were so low, even though children, kids from age 12 to 29, dominantly males over females, about two to one, um, the percentages were so low they were willing to risk it that they thought the benefit outweighed, outweighed the risk. And yet it turned out to be a much higher percentage of myocarditis than they accounted for. And that's where I was going to go. I don't know the name of the bio company that, uh, the vaccine company that actually tracks vaccine safety, health, welfare, to make sure that things are going well. They have come out with a new paper they just released this week, and the percentages are absolutely higher than first anticipated. And that's where I had been pounding the drum uh, to family and friends. You got to wait for the empirical data. You have to wait. You have to wait. You have to wait. It caused a lot of rift. But now that we have some time and some empirical data, we'll know. If the vaccine was 100% safe, I'll eat humble pie and say, you know what? I gambled. I risked. I made it through it. I'm good with it. If it turns out that it's worse or there's more cases than first anticipated and thought of, I expect the same humble pie in return. Just saying. Let's keep on the subject of investigating things. Outstanding. But let's turn to non-vaccine related. Let's do it. Okay. In L.A. County. The L.A. Sheriff was looking into Los Angeles County Supervisor and a Los Angeles County Civilian Oversight Commissioner for various crimes. And it turns out that someone inside, the, between the sheriff and the local prosecutor, etc., the attorney general, like all of them, not the attorney general, but the, the local area attorneys, Someone tipped off these two individuals, the uh, a Los Angeles County Sheriff, a Los Angeles County Supervisor, and a Los Angeles County Civilian Oversight Commissioner, that they were going to have warrants executed on their house, and so then they were ready to hold a press conference, and they actually said we were tipped off that this was coming, and so now the sheriff is demanding an investigation and turn over to the the county inspector general because someone illegally tipped off the subjects of an investigation. I just thought it was interesting that, could you imagine if someone tipped off Trump that the a search warrant was going to be executed on Mar-a-Lago or somebody tipped off, you know, insert somebody else here, like Democrats were tipped off. And that was okay. And now other Democrats are looking out saying they shouldn't even have warrants execute search warrants executed on them. They're they're local officials. Well, if you want to hold that, that it's not okay to look into local officials, how are you okay with looking into a president? Absolutely. Not done. Done did done, done, done. Okay, so here we are. We're in September. And do you know what's gonna hit in October? Biggest meteorite in the history of the world. 
No. Oh. Uh, we're going to get our inflation checks here in the state of California. 100 bucks. Well, it could be as little as 200 depending on your income and your marriage status. But California has decided to go off of your income from 2020. So it doesn't matter what your income is now, nor what it was last year, or how you've been getting by. Whatever you said in 2020 is your income with your, your taxes. That is the number that they're going by. That's mighty nice of them, but... I would say put that money in a savings account because they're going to want it back. Well, supposedly it's for the the high price, you know, to pay for the inflation on gas and stuff like that, the gas check or whatever Newsom had termed it. So why not just reduce gas prices until said money is eaten up? Absolutely. Take off all the state taxes. It can be easily fixed. These guys create all these problems and they say their solutions are golden but they're sending checks to people who don't even drive so how is that it's not fair and equitable across the board doing what they said it's gonna do they still have not recouped the hundreds of millions of dollars in fraudulent covid payments and such over the last two and a half years and they never will go after that money we're just going to be on the hook as taxpayers yep agreed A story that we brought to you some weeks ago was regarding the city of Fresno and the city council president, Nelson Esparza. In May, Fresno City Council member Gary Bredefeld claimed the former city attorney, Doug Sloan, was being extorted and said that City Council President Nelson Esparza told Sloan that he could not work for the City Council minority. He could only work for the City Council majority, who were Democrats. And that if he did any work, even though legally he's obligated to work with the minority as well, all of them, he's a Fresno City Council lawyer. If he worked with anyone outside of the majority, he would be fired. So this is something we talked about because when Gary Bredefeld did a press conference claiming that um, the city attorney had told him he couldn't work for him. Nelson Esparza filed a defamation lawsuit against Bredefeld. So I don't know if you remember us talking about that. I do. But it turns out that the lawsuit was dropped. It was ultimately dropped. But the reason why it was dropped was because the city said it would defend Bredefeld against Esparza. So Esparza claimed that it was defamation, filed a lawsuit, and the city actually sided with Bredefeld and said that they would support him in the lawsuit. So it gets dropped. However, the fun doesn't end there. (laughs) Of course not. In July... The Fresno County District Attorney's Office announced that Esparza had been charged with attempting to violate the Fresno City Charter and attempting to extort former city attorney Doug Sloan. And he's former city attorney because he seemed to say, you know what, I don't want to deal with any of this. And he took another job outside of Fresno. It's like drama he doesn't want to be in the middle of. He did not want to be. Yes. So we lost a city attorney. And then the the majority ultimately gets to hire someone who's going to play ball in his place. But that's a, another side issue. But apparently, 
Fresno City has said that it will defend Esparza on these legal charges, on his criminal legal charges, not on his more civil defamation legal charges. They wouldn't. So now, apparently, they will pay Esparza's attorney $350 an hour and the attorney's assistant at $250 an hour. That'd be a paralegal? Yes. Um, for a total of $600 an hour paid by the city of Fresno. Wow. I'm glad that's I, your tax dollars at, at work. work. I'm glad I live in the county. Yes. So they, they get to claim defamation. Turns out he's a liar. He gets charged. Well, I mean, technically he's not been found guilty yet, but he gets charged We won't defend him in the defamation lawsuit. We'll defend the person he files a lawsuit against, but then we'll pay tax dollars to have him defended against criminal charges. And the interesting thing is the taxpayers are on the hook for both sides. Yes, because he's being prosecuted on taxpayer dime, and now the defense is taxpayer dime. Aren't we brilliant? Brilliant. Amazing. Absolutely. Do you remember Sherry Papini? Name rings a bell. In 2016, she was a kidnapping victim. That was, you know, we were given the please find her. Her family loves her. She was ultimately found weeks later, gives a story of how she was kidnapped and beaten and tortured, went on for years. Apparently, When she vanished, this was in November of 2016, while out jogging. This is up in Redding, California. Gone for three weeks. That was all fake. Multi-state search. She has pleaded guilty. (laughs) She pled guilty to lying. I believe her husband has filed for divorce because what she was doing was she took off with the ex-boyfriend. So her husband has filed for divorce, and she has been given 18 months in prison. So all the heartache that people went through thinking she was missing and looking for her. Well, it's not about them, right? No, not about them. So she'll have to pay a couple hundred thousand dollars, like $300,000 is her restitution and spend 18 months in prison. Well, and I would give her, what's that little punishment thing they do afterwards when they put you on parole? Parole or probation. In her case, parole. What we call community service. I would make her work with families that are victims of people work that on have, search and rescue. Yes, and that have been like legitimately that. kidnapped and recovered alive or other until she 100% has learned a lesson. Do you know who Brett Favre is? I do. So apparently some text messages have come to light that the ex-governor of Mississippi knew that Brett Favre had a scheme with one of his foundation members to misappropriate funds. And so now they're looking at the ex-governor of Mississippi along with Brett Favre and his community organization with the misappropriation of funds. This stuff runs deep with all kinds of people, doesn't it? It does. Ex-NFL stars, people that run nonprofits for homeless, people that believe in Russia collusion, people that work for the city of Fresno. We just have corruption 
all over the top, place. Top to bottom, all 50 states. Sadly, that is true. So you just mentioned Trump-Russia collusion or the Russia collusion, but something that's going on in Russia, people who speak out against Vladimir, Vladdy boy. Going on vacation, are they? They're going on permanent vacation. So apparently Russian businessmen keep dying under mysterious circumstances since Putin invaded Ukraine. And people, basically when they speak out or say anything of non-support, they just seem to kind of end up dead. Falling from a speedboat. Well, he is former KGB, you know. Falling from a six-floor window. Oh, you mean like suicides with a certain group over here in the States? When you cross them? Yes. You happen to commit suicide. Visiting a healer to cure him of uh, cure one of them of a hangover, but instead they suffer a heart they suffer heart failure. Spy movies. <laughs> this is way spy movie worthy. So apparently, if you speak out negatively against Putin and you're an oligarch, you will die. You will see greener pastures from the bottom up. Yes, you will. Do you think he had anything to do with uh, Zelensky getting into a car crash? 100%. But no injuries were reported, so apparently, or no serious injuries, so. Or maybe he just did it to make himself look better. Conspiracy theories. Yeah, that's still going on. The war with Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia. Yep, it's like a big chess game with people's lives. This has been a podcast produced and edited by the Dirt Sailor Duo. Mark and Shannon are a father-daughter team who both served in the United States Navy. This production is protected by copyright laws. Until next time, anchors away.